In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Roger Casey. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Roger about his passion for nursing and how volunteering and gratitude have impacted his outlook on the profession. Roger is sure to create a spark of thankfulness during this conversation. This episode is called Gratitude, Shifting from a Job to a Calling. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. And most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, and always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Holly. It's great to have you with us. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Roger Casey. Roger is an emergency nurse with a depth of experience well worth diving into on this podcast. It is truly an honor to have this opportunity to get to know a bit more about him. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Roger? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm really happy to have Roger with us today. Roger has over 30 years of emergency and critical care nursing experience, and he has used his experiences by volunteering on the BCEN Certified Emergency Nurse Exam Construction Review Committee to provide evidence-based items to emergency nursing certification. Roger has also been a part of the Emergency Nurses Association Trauma Nursing Corps Curriculum Development and as a fellow of the Academy of Emergency Nursing. Roger, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to our conversation and wanted to dive into a lot of your volunteering um, aspects of what you've done over the years. But before we did that, you were enlisted in the Air Force for five years, and then you were honorably discharged and started nursing school. So can you tell us what made you decide to go into the nursing or healthcare career and where that all started? So I joined the Air Force right out of high school because I wanted to go to college and I want nursing was not even on my radar. I wanted to be a computer programmer or photographer or anything like that. But when I got to basic training, they said, you need to pick a job out of this list of jobs they had. And medic was the most appealing one. And so I chose that was assigned as a medic in the Air Force for five years. Um, I grew up in Montana and I got sent back to Montana uh, station there. And I'm like, you know, I really want to see the world. So I assigned, I, I signed up for a, uh, to be an aeromedical evacuation technician. And so I got sent to North Carolina and flew up and down the East coast. And I was in Central America, Europe, and Alaska for a couple of weeks. And they, um, as a flight medic of, of sorts. And then I worked with a lot of nurses in that time. And I, um, during that time, I kind of was thinking, well, what do I want to do when I get out? Still was not decided and uh, went through, I wanted to stay in, but it was a time when they were reducing the, the number of uh, troops. And so they, I was um, not eligible for enlistment. So I was kind of out because of that troop reduction movement and was looking to go to school. And I was looking through the college catalogs back then. There was an actual catalog where you thumb through and was looking at the nursing thing. And it's like, you know, I did that in the Air Force. I did that. It's like, this would be a piece of cake. And then my brother of all people said, you know, Hey, he goes, I know a couple of nurses that went through there and it's like a 95% placement rating out of there. So, you know, you're almost guaranteed a job as soon as you graduate. And I'm like, Hey, I can do this for two years and become a nurse. And so that's kind of what I did. I know that that was probably not the best in the best way to become a nurse. To be honest, I think I kind of struggled with just being a nurse for a while. And I 
got to a point where I just kind of really kind of saw this more as like my calling than a job. And I think once that happened, I think that my whole paradigm around, you know, being a nurse and what that meant for me really kind of changed because I, I do feel that it's a calling. And I know I've spoke with other nurses who really do feel it's a calling as well. And so looking at it that way, because looking back, you know, there are things that just happened that lined up. <clears throat> some may call it serendipity, some may call it divine intervention, whatever, but things just lined up for me to become a nurse. And so it's been a good career for me. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And uh, so did you start directly into the ER or did you go into ICU or how did you get involved on the emergency side? So I was hired as a, I was actually hired um, into a critical care unit and I spent a couple of years up there. And at that time I only had my associate's degree and I really kind of got bogged down into the, you know, you need to have your bachelor's and kind of, kind of got into this tug of war with other uh, nurses that you really need to have your bachelor's or your master's to be considered a, a real nurse. And I'm like, oh, I'm an associate's degree nurse. I'm a real nurse, you know, and you know, they license you, whether you have a ADN or a BSN, I kind of got a little burnt out on the ICU based on that. And so, and then we also, I um, was engaged and we moved back to our hometown in here in Washington. And then we both got a job. My first wife was a, a nurse as well. And we got a job at a hospital and I was working med surge after that. And they would give me like all of the um, sick patients. And so there was one night, I remember I had like about 10 patients. This was before nursing ratios, ratios and all that stuff. And I had about like 10 patients and I just hated it because they were so sick and I just couldn't do it. I didn't feel I was given safe care. And so I started volunteering to float places. I got floated one night to birth center and had to go palpate funduses. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that again. Cause I have no idea what I'm doing. And it just is awkward for both of us. I, um, got floated to the emergency department one night and I'm like, oh my gosh, where has this been? You know, and I had worked in the emergency department when I was a medic in the air force and I really liked it. And so I kind of got floated down there one night and next thing you know, there's a position open and I applied for it. And I got down there and I think I've been in the emergency department ever since. And that was, I think 96 was when that happened. So I've been in the emergency department since then. It's kind of weird because when people ask me like what year I went down to the emergency department, I tell them like 96, they're like, Oh my gosh, that was before I was even born. So I'm working with coworkers that were born and grew up in, during my emergency nursing career. <laughs> it is always interesting when you have new nurses come in and you're talking to them about, you know, oh, you know, I started here and I've been doing this this long and they make you feel like ancient. However, you're like, no, it doesn't seem that long for me. Although I, I did used to tell people that being in critical care, ER, you age differently, meaning like if you stay one year, it's really five. So if you're, you know, if you've been in the ER two years, you've been in nursing like 10, um, it just ages you a little bit differently. So, I mean, based on that, Roger, you are like a thousand years old in ER nursing. So, and there are some yeah. nights I feel that age too. <laughs> and, you know, I've done different things too. So I was a trauma coordinator. I was a clinical educator. I've been a charge nurse, clinical educator, trauma coordinator for about eight years. I did take a break from emergency nursing and was a base chief for a critical care transport company that oversaw an ALS ground transport crew, a critical care ground transport crew. And then we had a specialty team of perinatal nurses and adult nurses that flew in the helicopters and the fixed wings. And so I did that for a few years. That company got bought out. And so then I went back to the, what I kind of know, and that's emergency nursing. And so I've been there for like really the last seven years. And this time I'm now at a freestanding or a standalone emergency department, which 
is a different concept in emergency nursing and it's different because the public really don't doesn't understand what that is and i don't think some of the medical professionals understand what that is either but basically you're like an er in a box in the middle of town and people come to you and then if they have to be admitted then we have to send them either by ambulance or they drive over to the hospital to get admitted um so that's been a little different so i yeah i guess i've had a pretty well-rounded emergency nursing career it sounds that way and in the midst of all of the things that you've been doing professionally, you have really been instrumental in volunteering through various committees. One of the questions that most people might ask from someone who has volunteered their time in the midst of working and family, why is volunteering so important to you? For me, it's it's paying it back. You know, you look at the people that have come before you and that have volunteered their time to make things better for nurses, you know, and um, I've seen a lot of changes in, you know, the time that I've been an emergency nurse. And it's just a way of, of paying it back because I've been blessed to have the career that I have. I just feel that every nurse should pay it back at some point in time or some way in some manner. And how that is, it's it's totally up to that individual because, you know, just because I like to do this doesn't mean that every other nurse would like to do that. I just, I just feel that it's a way to just pay back and to help bolster and strengthen nursing as a whole. And so that's kind of my motivation for doing that. It's not because I want to get rich or um, anything like that, because I'm volunteering, I don't get paid for it. It's that sense of just paying it back. And, you know, my, my parents always taught me to leave things better than when I found them. And I feel like by paying it back and by volunteering, it's helping me to leave nursing is better than when I entered it. That's a really great philosophy, great mindset. And I have mentioned previously that you're part of the the exam review committee. And um, it, it's a it's a little bit of a stepwise process to get there. Um, you're also on the board of directors here at BCEN. So I wanted you to explain what the exam uh, review committee does, but can you kind of explain the process that it even takes to get to that point and, and how you got on that committee and now onto the board of directors? Several years ago, I think I've been a I think I've been a certified emergency nurse since 2004, and in 2007 they put out a call for item writers. You know, I think everybody walks out of that test going, "Oh my gosh, I could have written better questions than that. That's ridiculous." And I kind of had that like in the back of my mind, and it's like, "Hey, here's a chance to write the questions." So I kind of went through the process, got um, selected as an item writer, went through training, and then I actually was um, got some assignments writing items for these and. It's not as easy as it sounds. I think people go, well, I can just write any question, but there's a lot of science and math behind what makes a really good item. And so what happens is, is you, you're an item writer first. And so you write the items and usually you'll get an assignment of like, say, cardiac, GI, respiratory, you need to do you know, so many of these. And here's the topics. If you look at our outline for the test, you know, it's the items are really based on, on that outline. So you write those and then those get sent up to mentors. The mentors are the people that sit on the exam committee and they look at the item and these are the, and in order to go to the exam committee, you have to have uh, a certain amount of years. And I can't remember how many years it is as an item writer before you're selected to the exam committee. So the exam committee is made up of experienced item writers. Everybody is a mentor on the exam committee. So when you're selected to be on the exam committee, then you're mentoring these item writers to help produce better items. And you kind of send back feedback to them to help grow them as an item writer. And then the other thing that the exam committee does is once we get all those items in, then they kind of collate them. And then um, we look at them to make sure, are they referenced well? Um, is it current practice? We look to make sure that grammatically that the, the item flows well. We look to make sure that the items, 
there's the key, which is the correct answer, and then the distractors, which are the incorrect answers. Are the distractors, are they you know, plausible but incorrect? And so we do spend uh, time doing that. Even as an exam committee member, we probably, if you look at the items that we review and they kind of put them in test format and they send them to us, we probably take the equivalent of like about four CEN tests a year, just based on all the items that have been produced. And then we look at them as a committee and then we either try to fix them or if it's not fixable or if it's not current practice or we just don't have time to deal with it, we'll kind of push those aside and then we'll move the others forward. And then those items that get moved forward get put out on a test as a pretest item. And so then they gather data and statistics. And then we bring those back and look and see if they're still relevant, if the statistics look good. And then we kind of put them out on the exam. It's kind of a, I, I don't mean to demean the, or, or to demean the, the testing experts, but it's kind of kind of a geeky, nerdy kind of thing. And so it kind of fulfills that geeky, nerdy thing because you look at the data on these questions and every item that's on the, on the exam tells you how many times it was used, uh, what people chose. So like how many people actually got it right. It shows whether it's a very hard question or a very easy question. And so you can kind of see, okay, this one's kind of hard and people are missing it. They're choosing this one instead. And we look at those kind of things. And so we do look to make sure that the, the exam is really relevant. And there's a lot of work that actually goes into it. And when we sit down, in fact, we have a exam committee coming up next week. And when we sit down and do that, there's a lot of work that goes in to making sure that that, that question is good enough to get out on the test. And so when people you know, come back and they go, well, that was a horrible question. We've looked at it and we have data behind it that would support that it would be a good question to put out there. So then from going there, you, you went even further and now you're on the board of directors as well. Yeah. So what, what is your involvement on the board? And uh, it's obviously it's much more than item writing. So could you just maybe very briefly explain what the board does at BCN? The board of directors are the ones that kind of guide the business aspect of BCN. And so the board is the one that has, you know, they're the ones that make the decisions as to whether or not, you know, we have like the learn live or the learn um, aspect. We look at what is it that we can do to make these tests or these exams available to people and how does it, how do we market them to people? We also look at, you know, the long-term viability of the, the organization. So the board of directors functions just like a uh, board of directors for any business. And it's really kind of, we have the business aspect um, um, in mind. My position there is a member at large. And so I represent just members at large. And so I do, I kind of look at all the issues that are presented and then kind of using my um, experience and, you know, knowledge as, as to, you know, from my background and stuff, I kind of weigh in what, what I think. And the board is made up of flight nurses, transport nurses, uh, pediatric nurses. You also have emergency nurses. So it does have kind of a representation of all the exams that we offer. And I think the board that we have now is pretty strong. I think we look at you know, the future and the viability of BCN and what we can do to make sure that the exam is, is meaningful to people and that it's priced, you know, right and stuff like that. I guess that would be my, my short answer without having to put too much thought into it. No, that's great. I mean, to me, I just think it's really neat because it all, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like it started with going, people are complaining about these questions. I've, or these items, I feel like there's a few that weren't that, you know, good myself. Let me see if I can make a difference. And maybe that's not an accurate representation, but it just started with you going, I think I can make a difference here. I think I can help. And from there, it went into item writing and then exam review and then the board of directors, all these things, because you just wanted to see if you could make an impact in some way. And 
it's interesting to me because I've had so many nurses come to me over the years and say, the state board should be doing this different. The hospital should do this different. ENA should do this. BCN should do this. STN. Everybody has their opinion of what organizations should do, what hospitals should do. But very few actually go, you know what? I think this should be changed and let me be the one to try to change it. And I think that's really cool that you stepped out and decided to do that. And this is where you are today. So thank you for sharing that that journey with us. Yeah, I had a manager that I was working with during that time. She was actually the motivation for me to become certified. But she always had a philosophy that it's okay to complain about something, but bring a solution. So don't just sit and say, this really is, this really needs to be done this way, or this, this really isn't working, or this isn't working. It's like, it's okay to say that, but say, okay, this isn't working. How about this idea? And so I think it was based on that, that it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I could probably write better questions than that. And honestly, looking back, some of those questions are actually pretty well written. (laughs) But yeah, so it's kind of that, you know, you want to make a difference, but it's okay. If this isn't working, you want to complain about it, offer up a solution to it. And I've tried to do that even going forward, not just with BCN, but every aspect of my life. It's like, okay, this isn't working. What would be a better alternative? And sometimes it gets back to like, okay, well, this is the best way to do it. Well, Roger, I just want to thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done, and that you continue to do when it comes to BCN and all of the different organizations that you're involved in. So one of the other things that you have shared in the past is how you express gratitude to your coworkers. And you've left notes on charge nurses, desks, phones, you know, you're just, you're expressing gratitude. Can you explain to the listeners what prompted you to kind of make these efforts of gratitude towards other people? I didn't really start doing that until right about the time the COVID pandemic hit. I remember sitting out in the parking lot in the back of the emergency department and I did not want to go to work. And I think this was like during, at first, you know, I was grateful that I had a job that I could go to because everybody else was staying home and not working. And I was just grateful I had a job to go to. And then I, as they, as more and more people started coming back to the emergency department, I really felt that it was just being overwhelmed. It's like, man, I don't want to be here either. And I just, I remember one day I was sitting out in the back in my truck waiting to go into work. And I'm like, I could drive away right now. And nobody would ever know I was here. I just call in sick. And I, I, I would just skip today. And I thought, no, I, I need to go in because, you know, it's my commitment. I said, hey, I'd be here. I'm here. They probably have me on camera. And anyway, I said, if there's just one thing that I could be grateful for today, let me just pick one thing that I'm grateful for. And so I went in kind of with that attitude and I did find like one thing I was grateful for. And then that kind of started to change as well, because then you find another thing that you're grateful for, you know, and I think for that day, it was like, you know, I'm grateful that I do have a job to go to. And then I'm grateful for my coworkers because they're in this um, as well. Then you just start to find other things. You know, I'm grateful that I was able to have this conversation with this patient. And the way the charge nurse phone notes kind of came about, I call them sticky note encouragements. I um, was trying to learn Spanish and we had a nurse that was very fluent in Spanish. And so I'd get on Google Translate and write a note on the charge nurse phone. And I found that I started saying, I'm grateful to you for this. And then it kind of stuck. She um, went off to another department, but I just kind of found that if I leave little notes to the, and I tuck it away because we have those little flip phones. So we just fold it in half, tuck it away. And so then when they use the phone at some point in time, they open it up and there's a note that says, Hey, you know, welcome to work. I'm grateful for you. And I always try to find one attribute that I'm grateful or I appreciate about them. You know, like I appreciate your hard work ethic. I appreciate your quiet leadership style. And then on the back, put like a little fun fact and it's kind of caught on. 
And there are nights when I'm not charge nurse and I see that other charge nurses are doing it to other charge nurses. So they open up and there's a note of encouragement for them. So that's kind of how that got started. It was just kind of a, if I could just find one thing that I'm grateful for that I can still do my job. And that really did start a paradigm shift in my mind that it really helped me to focus not on the negative aspects of the job. Cause I think any job has negative aspects and you can focus on those until it like just becomes your entire focus. But when you start to focus on what is it I'm grateful for there, you know, even if you have coworkers that may be annoying, you're still grateful for that they're there and that they're doing their job. It, it was such a paradigm shift for me. And then I started to say, okay, I can do this. And it really kind of was more, probably more self-help for me. And I found that by doing that, I've kind of built up some resilience. I know you hear those buzzwords around and I'm not kind of like a touchy feely kind of guy, you know, that shares his emotions all that much, but I do feel that doing this really kind of has changed my attitude a lot about people that I work with, about patients, about life in general. And it is a hard job that we do. I don't think people really realize the things that we see and do in the emergency department, but, but just having that attitude that, you know, I'm grateful for this. And I've worked some crazy shifts that, you know, I've had people die and there's still something you can find that you're grateful for. It started out for me kind of like almost like a self-defense or self-preservation mechanism that's just kind of turned into helping just redirect my my focus. A really great thing you're doing that's obviously impacting a lot of people and sounds like impacting uh, the morale of the department as well as you personally. But, you know, one question we ask everybody on this podcast is about a moment or a person or something that has happened in your career that's really impacted you. And Sounds like you've impacted quite a few others. And, and you mentioned uh, previously that a previous manager had had made an impact on you as well. And um, so I don't know if it's a patient, I don't know if it's a coworker, a family member or who, but is there somebody in your career that you look back on and you go, that that really made an impact on me? There are probably two people that I would say made a huge impact on my career. First one was one of my nursing instructors. I think that that was, I, I probably would have walked away from nursing, probably wouldn't even graduate nursing school because I just... Once I got into realize what nursing was, then I probably was in nursing for the first few years with my eyes shut. It's like, I don't know what nursing is. You know, I'm just, it's a job for me. And it was one of my uh, nursing instructors who really was a mentor to me at that point in time. And then, yeah, my, my previous manager who told me, you know, it's okay to complain, but bring a solution. I worked under her as a clinical educator and as a trauma coordinator. Um, so she was my manager for the longest time in my nursing career. And I really learned a lot from her and I really learned how to interact and, and, and deal with people and, and situations. And so I think those two people probably impacted my career the most. I think you could take like any category, really patient, family members. I mean, there's a lot of people, but those are probably two that stand out the most to me. One was, was Mary, who was the nursing instructor, and then Annette, who was my manager. Those two are the ones that probably impacted my career the most. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I always love to hear the response to that question. Because no matter who we ask, I always find it just inspiring to remember, even you know, in my own personal life, those who've who've helped me move forward. And sometimes it was in little small tidbits of encouragement and or critiques. And then also just trying to keep you focused on what it is in this profession that is going to keep you here. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. I do have a few rapid fire questions that we would like to ask you just so we can get to know you a little bit better. But Roger, what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? I'd probably be like in Mexico, probably in Cabo with like a little beach uh, cantina, 
um, just hanging out with my wife and family and friends. People come down. It'd be like an exclusive club. Mm. We're invited. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know both Michael and I would like to go ahead and reserve our spot um, oh, down on the beach somewhere, please. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of sunscreen. All right. So I also have some more questions. And with these categories, it can be like best of all time and or something current. So what is your favorite book? My favorite book, I don't know. I'm not a big reader, but my favorite book would probably be um, two. And it would be Black Hawk Down, which is the account of the Black Hawk that was shot down in Somalia and the crew that you know made it back to, to safety and the whole. Um, and then it was also, I think it's called In the Company of Heroes. And it's by Michael Durant, who was the helicopter pilot that was shot down and taken captive. I think those two um, books are probably my favorite. It just, you know, really tells a lot. You know, you do it and it's almost like emergency nursing kind of in a way, because you're doing it for your buddy. You know, sometimes, you know, you're, we're doing it for our patients, but it's really the guy next to you that you're doing it for. And I think those two books are probably my favorite. I agree that sometimes you go to work, not necessarily because you need the money, although, you know, it's nice, but you go because you know that if you don't go, then one of your very best friends at work, one of your very best coworkers will not have you and so you show up, so you continue to go back. And I definitely recognize when you're talking about like COVID and sitting in your car and thinking about whether or not you were going to go in. I mean, a lot of times I I went because I couldn't, I couldn't abandon my people. Like I just couldn't do it. So great recommendations. Um, okay. Favorite movie or a TV show? Again, it can be best of all time or something currently that you enjoy. My favorite movie is actually an old one and it's black and white and it's 12 Angry Men. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but yeah. it's basically a jury deliberating the fate of uh, a kid that's accused of murder. And it has, if you look at the star power that's in that movie, like every juror in there is, is a famous actor. And it just, I don't know, it just kind of talks about how we see things differently. And sometimes there's that voice of reason that has to come out and go, but what about this? And it really kind of highlights how uh, we use biases when we look at things too. But yeah, I, that's my, my all-time favorite movie, I think. That is a great pick. I know it's been, um, I think it's been remade a few different times, but there's something about just the the classic original. And again, it's a very thought-provoking movie. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, another favorite, favorite song, or you give us a musical artist that you enjoy. I would have to say it's Electric Light Orchestra or ELO. Um, kind of goes back to my nerdy high school days when I played the upright bass in um, orchestra, but I just like how they incorporate orchestral pieces in rock. And my favorite song um, is probably Can't Get It Out of My Head by ELO. I know you'd think it'd be Don't Bring Me Down, which everybody knows, but um, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to go for the lesser known of your favorite, you know? Um, yeah. Roger, what is like a go-to comfort food for you? Favorite comfort food? You know, there's nothing like a good burger. And it's funny, my wife and I were running some errands last night after she got off work. And I'm like, you, you hungry? She goes, yeah. She goes, I could just really go for a good burger. And I think like just a good burger is just good comfort food. I agree with that. And sometimes it's hard because, you know, you have all these places that make burgers and it seems like something that'd be like really simple. You can get a good burger anywhere. But those of us who know, it is not easy to find a really good burger. So you have to like find your place, you know, thank you. Now I'm hungry. All right. What is your personal reset or for self-care? What, what do you do that kind of helps you get back 
recentered on yourself? What would you say? You know, I'm, I know I'm an introvert and um, I know a lot of people think that that is not right, but I'm an introvert. I can be an extrovert if needed, but I'm an introvert at heart. And so for me, it's just, we call them a do nothing day where you just get up and you do nothing for the day. You just do whatever, you know, if you want to hang out outside or whatnot. I have a Husky who keeps me busy and, you know, he's kind of funny in the mornings because he's pretty chatty, but it's just hanging out at home and just kind of, you know, or friends, just having friends over for lunch or going out to lunch with friends. That's kind of my personal reset. I like that to do nothing day. I think, especially when I was working um, in the ER and you'd have, you know, you'd work your three or six or however you blocked your schedule and you'd have like a day and you'd be like, I need a day to just not have to do anything. So not that you didn't accomplish something every now and again, but it just to have like no plans, no timeline, no agenda. Yeah. So now you have a name for it. You have a name for it now called Do Nothing Day. (laughs) I like that. Roger, if our audience would like to follow you online, what social media platforms are you on? So I'm on Facebook. um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, although I don't follow Twitter a whole lot because it's just, I think of all the social media ones, that's probably the one that's like the most negative. Um, And also on LinkedIn professionally. Well, we will have those um, listed on our Podbean account. So thank you for that, Roger. Roger, I wanted to thank you for um, being on this podcast and sharing with us. I really like what you said about getting involved. I, I really like what you said about inspiring and encouraging others. And um, on top of that, it's been great getting to know you. I've spent some time with you in person and on different calls and things, but it's always nice getting to know uh, more about you. So thank you for sharing that with us, both personally and professionally. It's been a really nice uh, time talking with you today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the, the time and the invitation to come on. Well, I want to take this time to thank Roger for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Roger, for sharing your knowledge, your time, and your passion with us. We are looking forward to spending some face-to-face time with Roger at Learn Live in Dallas, Texas on May 15th through 17th of 2023. To see the attendee agenda and get registered to join us, go to bcn.org backslash BCN Learn Live. You do not want to miss this. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bringing you new, meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.